the Student Nation Podcast. He's Rich DeCray. I'm Matt Hofeld, and this is the Big 12 Championship Preview. Oklahoma Baylor, 11 a.m. kickoff Saturday morning from AT&T Stadium, a.k.a. Jerry World. What better place would you want to be on a Saturday morning than Arlington, Texas? Oklahoma Baylor, both sitting at 11 and 1 on the season. The the winner of this game very well could find themselves in the college football playoff. Oklahoma sitting at number six in the latest rankings. Baylor at number seven. Everybody's watching number 13 versus number five Utah on Friday night because that will have implications in a major, major way, particularly for Baylor. I think I've said this on along. I think OU's in regardless. If OU wins this game, they're in. But there is, in my opinion, a, a misdirection, if you will. There's a false narrative out here with this game. And, and the way it's being portrayed by the media and also on some message boards is that Baylor's the team that's looking for redemption. This is this is a team that led Oklahoma by 25 points just a few weeks ago. Rich, with, without looking at the... Without looking at the schedule, can you tell me how long ago did Oklahoma play Baylor? Three weeks. Yeah, you were just looking at the schedule. I saw. I, I, saw I wasn't. Right there in front of I, you. Matt, yeah, I'm actually looking up. Cheater. I'm looking up stats. Yeah, big fat cheater. I thought Oklahoma it feels, State. It feels like TCU it was, Baylor. Three weeks. It feels weeks. like it was a half a season ago to me. I didn't know if you felt that way or not. But here's yeah, see you got it right. Yeah, there I have I have a schedule here's that has the, two games. Yeah, here's the, the games that Caleb Kelly has played in. By the way, here's the false narrative: Oklahoma beats Baylor thirty-four to thirty-four to thirty-one um, just three weeks ago, and everybody talks about Baylor how they had this one in the bag and how they let it slip away, being outscored twenty-four to nothing in the third, third, the third and fourth quarters of the game. And so it's like, you know, you, you see people talking on television, whether you're watching ABC or ESPN or CBS or Fox Sports, whoever's out there, you see people talk about this game. And what they say is, well, you got to watch Baylor. If Baylor knows they had Oklahoma on the ropes, Baylor, if they play the second half like they play the first half, this is a blowout. Can Baylor put two can, – can they put together two complete halves – this is this story, this narrative that's being painted, in my opinion, is all about Baylor and Baylor's opportunity for redemption against the number three, or excuse me, number six ranked Oklahoma football team. But there's a flip side of that story. Why are we not talking about Oklahoma's second half? Why are we not saying if Oklahoma plays two halves like they played the second half, this game is not close. This game is a blowout because that in itself is true as well. Oklahoma outscored the Bears. 24 to nothing over the final 30 minutes of the football game, trailing by 25 points at one time. This team that came out of the locker room after half was a different team than the locker room that went into the half. And I think Oklahoma, they look at this national narrative. They, they hear what's being said. They understand what's at stake. And they're like, hey, we're going to prove that we're that much better than Baylor. Everybody looks at this game. If you're an Oklahoma football fan, if you're an Oklahoma football player, if you're an Oklahoma football coach, you see the perception out there that everyone looks at this game as if it was a fluke, that Oklahoma should have lost in Waco. My point is completely opposite of that, and I'm saying Oklahoma figured Baylor out. And if you're Baylor, I've said this before. I've, I've said this since that game when I did the recap 
podcast of that game. My my point has always been if you're Baylor, you had Oklahoma in your house at night up against the ropes. You literally threw the kitchen sink at them, everything that you had, and you couldn't deliver the knockout punch. And they come back and beat you, you know, throughout the fight. And so I think the mental advantage is on Oklahoma's side, both from the fact that they they did the, the big comeback, but also from the fact that Oklahoma has a lot to prove here. They're, they're, people are talking about Baylor as if they let this game slip away from them. They're not talking about Oklahoma grabbing this game and taking control of it. Also, people aren't comparing Baylor to Utah. They're comparing Oklahoma to Utah. And most people with any sense of intellect can look at these schedules between Oklahoma and Utah and see Oklahoma's played the tougher schedule. So there is, in my opinion, there's zero mental advantage that Baylor has coming into this game. Whether you're talking from a redemption standpoint or whether you're talking uh, from a case where we have something to prove. That's my two cents. Give me yours, Rich. <laughs> Baylor, one one of the conversations that no one is talking about as well is that the Oklahoma team that Baylor faced it is not the same Oklahoma team that will be in Dallas on Saturday prepared to win a fifth consecutive championship game. What do I mean by that? When we go back and we look at the Baylor game, Jalen Hurts threw the ball quite a bit. Since that moment, it's been a complete reversal, a flip of the script, if you will. Jalen Hurts, I think, threw the ball 13 times against Oklahoma State, and it was close to 40, if not over 40. I think it may have been 42 attempts when they played Baylor. We're looking at a team that has put this emphasis or returned to putting an emphasis on running the ball. Oklahoma, when they head into that game, their intention is to completely wear out this Baylor defense, a team that has prided themselves on the defensive side of the ball and a team that has been exceptionally good and productive on that side of the ball. When these two teams collide, Matt, I still think that Oklahoma does have the edge, not only talent-wise, but mentality-wise, as you were speaking. Matt Rule, a great coach, but when the two teams line up, the expectation is for Oklahoma to win that game. That's why those comparisons are being drawn. That's why the conversation, when it comes to the college football playoff, centers around Oklahoma and not Baylor. There's this national national perception that Oklahoma is the best team in the Big 12 and anyone but Oklahoma coming out of the Big 12 as a one-loss team is a complete surprise. Yeah, well, and let's talk about a couple of different ways that this team is different, beginning with Oklahoma's offense. You know, the, the, I call it the CeeDee Lamb effect or the CeeDee Lamb factor. And and there's been lots of people talk about this from different perspectives, be it local or be it national, the effect that CeeDee Lamb's going to have on this game. And and I get it. I I, I get that that Lincoln Riley has morphed the offense. Um, you know, we said this after Bedlam. I think the the win factor played more into the limited number of times that Jalen Hurts threw the ball. I do believe it was 16 times uh, that he threw the ball against Oklahoma State, completed 13 of them. Um, I think the win factor played more into that than anything else. But here's the thing. Whether Oklahoma's lining up to run the football or whether Oklahoma's lining up to throw the football, you have to account for CeeDee Lamb. You have to account for him. 
And as this Kennedy Brooks, Ramondre Stevenson, Jalen Hurts rushing attack comes your way, you're going to be one player less in that box because you've got to account for CeeDee Lamb. And that makes Oklahoma's offense. If CeeDee Lamb doesn't catch a pass on Saturday, which I don't think is going to happen. He's going to, I think CeeDee Lamb's going to have a pretty good day. But if CeeDee Lamb doesn't catch a pass on Saturday, he still is a huge factor in this game just based off of the standpoint that you, the Baylor has to account for him. Yeah. It was a lot easier on this Baylor defense when they didn't have to account for Jalen Hurts or for CeeDee Lamb. Now – you not only is a corner completely taken up because whoever is opposite of Jalen of what I keep saying Jalen Hurts I don't know whoever is opposite of Ceedee Lamb their job is Ceedee Lamb you don't look into the backfield you don't look back you know you don't you trust the guys you wherever Ceedee Lamb goes you go and and on top of that a safety has to be accounting for Ceedee Lamb as well. It makes Oklahoma's game plan a lot easier, regardless of whether he has one catch or 500 catches. I do agree with you. Lincoln Riley has been extremely creative in what he does game plan-wise, but where Oklahoma has excelled specifically in the running game is because of the receiver's ability to block downfield. They are going to find a body. They are going to man up, latch on, and begin to drive you backwards down the field. I agree with what you're saying about CD lamb that he must be accounted for regardless if it's an obvious passing down or if it's not, because at any point in time with the amount of times we expect Oklahoma to run, all it takes is one play action pass to bust the game wide open. And the most likely candidates for those is a CD lamb. You can throw Rambo in that mix because of his speed, the ability to get behind a defense and simply lob one up middle of the field and let him run underneath it. I'm looking at collectively what Oklahoma has done, CeeDee Lamb being the largest player, the one guy you do have to account for that you cannot slack off of. But I'm also going to throw Charleston Rambo in there because if he gets a route across the middle – he very well could be gone as well, assuming that everyone has been sucked up into the box on a play-action play. Yeah, and let's also not forget Austin Stogner had two catches for eight yards uh, three weeks ago, but they were both touchdowns, and they were both pretty big, big touchdowns. Jalen Hurts did throw the ball in this first matchup. He threw the ball 42 times, completing 30 of them for 297 yards, four touchdowns in that game. Lee Morris, seven catches, 86 yards. Charles Rambo, five catches, 50 yards. He's a guy you already mentioned. It's just what I'm what I'm saying is, you know, Austin Sogner, Lee Morris, Charleston Rambo, Theo Weiss had a big touchdown in that game. When you're talking about this, and then you add CD Lamb into that mix, this is a group they didn't play. And, I so uh, go ahead. You were talking about the Baylor game feeling like it was so long ago. I guess when I'm mentally thinking about that game. I feel like C.D. Lamb played in it. He did not, no. which is where you're headed. And all of a sudden, the lights the light came on. Just came exactly. On. Yeah. And I'm exactly. like, what? That's what, is, what I'm talking about. Oh, That's why it's called yeah. the C.D. Lamb factor. This would be a little right. bit different That's right. than, than what they faced in Waco. And, and, and the thing, the point I'm making is this. I believe Oklahoma discovered the recipe for success midway through the second quarter in Waco. Be it Lincoln Riley, maybe I was talking to Craig, my, my son, earlier today about this, whether he discovered this by accident or whether he discovered it on purpose, 
you know, they, they turned the ball over so many times early in that game that he kind of had to play things close to the vest midway through the second quarter. Guys, we're just going to we're going to get what we can. We're going to we're going to run the ball. And and they begin to lean on this Baylor defense. And then the third quarter, you had Oklahoma with a long drive to start the third quarter. Baylor fumbles. Oklahoma recovers. It goes into another long drive. By the time the fourth quarter came around, this Baylor defense was completely gassed and done. That's the reason why I think Oklahoma starts the game like this on Saturday because, number one, they've already found success in it. And number two, when you look at Baylor, one of the things that they're still suffering from is depth. You know, they're coming off of the probation, coming off of the sanctions. Their scholarship numbers are not where they needed to be, and their experience and depth is not on an even kill with a team like Oklahoma, which makes their 11-1 run this season all the more impressive with what Matt Rule is doing. But Oklahoma, I expect Oklahoma to lean heavily on the running game early and make Baylor commit, like Oklahoma State did, make Baylor commit to stopping the run, and then you use those weapons like CeeDee Lamb, like Theo Weiss, like Charleston Rambo, like Austin Stogner, you know, you know, Hazelwood, all those guys that are out there, you begin to use those guys after Baylor has committed to stopping the run. But if Baylor doesn't commit to stop the run, or if Baylor doesn't stop the run, I'm, I'm expecting a 300-yard-plus game on the ground for Oklahoma under that circumstance. It's very likely. Baylor's been, like I said, I mean, they were 228 in Waco, good. 228 mm-hmm. rushing yards. Baylor's been exceptionally good at specifically run defense right up until the moment that they met Oklahoma, who presents uh, quite a bit of a different threat, quite a bit of a different look. A lot of people are comparing Jalen Hurts to size, physicality-wise, to a running back. So at any given moment, Oklahoma has two running backs, if not three, potential ball carriers in the backfield. It does make them extremely difficult to defend. We've talked about all the motion that Lincoln Riley uses, whether that's a receiver coming across in the backfield or it's putting multiple running backs, if you will, tight end, whoever that might be into the backfield to keep all of the options open. And as that motion begins to swing heavily in one way, the ball could go a complete different direction. It sets you up, (laughs) this scheme, this design sets you up to fail. It's almost impossible to defend for an entire game, an entire four quarters. I, I agree with what you're saying. If Oklahoma emphasizes the run game and Baylor does not sell out to stop it, it very easily could be a short game. Not extremely high scoring, but Oklahoma could run away with it, literally, to the tune of 300 yards on the ground. Oklahoma Baylor, Saturday morning, 11 a.m. kickoff. If you want tickets and want to be there, we know exactly where you need to go. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for the events that you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section or in the row of your choice, all within the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. Vivid Seats rewards. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. 
and we're going to take it a step further for you. You want those tickets? We got them for you. And when it comes time to buy, new users can enter the promo code OVERTIME. That's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, promo code OVERTIME at the checkout to receive a discount of up to $100 off your purchase. I said this the other night. I'm going to say it again. You know, we don't throw stuff out there just to throw it out there. I, I did it. That's how I got my tickets. Um, went on the Vivid Seats app. I downloaded I downloaded it, bought them, used the promo code overtime, saved me some cash. Jalen Hurts, who we've been talking about, has been phenomenal this season. Uh, 3,347 passing yards, 31 touchdowns, six interceptions. He's got a QBR of 92.1. He's over 1,000 yards on the ground. He's in, you know, he's in a, a select company as far as quarterbacks who have ever accomplished this type of feat. By the way, the only other quarterbacks ahead of him who have done what he has done has won the Heisman Trophy. I've not yet voted on the Maxwell Award. I'm saving that vote for Saturday night. I'll be turning it in at that point, but we've discussed this as well. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Rich, and I'm going to ask you to tell me, where do you think Jalen Hurts finishes in the Heisman voting. I have. I know Saturday. You can't say wait till after Saturday. I'm, I'm waiting till after Saturday to vote on Maxwell, but you can't say that right now on the spot. I, I have an answer that's not going to please a lot of people, and that's largely because I think Jalen Hurts finishes third. 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 Okay. Third in the Heisman ranking. I, I fully believe at this point in time, the trophy is Joe Burrow's to lose. Okay. He's claimed it. He's done enough in the eyes nationally of the media to earn, to stand on that stage and to hoist that trophy. But I'm also looking at a guy, and and I wouldn't have said this because of the two suspensions for, help me out with the name. Oh, uh, Young from Ohio Yeah, State? Chase Young. When I look at Chase Young, I, I thought the two suspensions ultimate or two game suspension ultimately did him in that he would be nowhere near the Heisman vote, nowhere near the Heisman trophy because of that. However, he's such an impact player. Despite the sitting out two games, he still leads the nation in several categories. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's not so much is he a better player on a national scale than Jalen Hurts? It's more so that here's a guy from a position that we don't typically see. And so people are going to continue to talk about him. People are going to continue to lift Chase Young up on this pedestal as the best defensive player in the country, which I fully believe that he is. But it's because of the conversation that surrounds him, why he gets a boost in the number of votes. This is all name recognition at this point in time. And while I think all three of these guys have it, if I had to say who's the number one, like I said, Joe Burrow, but who's going to finish behind him? It's that last push from Chase Young that that lifts him above Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just disagree with you. Go big, for big it. Big shocker there, right? <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to say he finishes second. I, I'm going to I know for me uh, because of the suspension, and again, I, I don't vote for the Heisman. I do get to vote for the Maxwell Award, and those two are kind of you, you. You see the same players in both of those awards. Uh, typically, one guy wins the Heisman, one guy wins the Maxwell. Sometimes, same guy wins them both, but. Chase Young is an easy third for me on this award because of that <laughs> suspension. I mean, that's just to me, that's 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 fair or not. That's the way I'm grading this. Mm-hmm. I think Jalen Hurts finishes second in the Heisman. 
And the reason why is because I think there's enough people in Big 12 territory and in SEC territory that are going to give him a second place vote. I agree with you. I, I think, hold up, you can shake your head and, and I am shaking my second. head. But um, I think, I think, I agree with you that I, I think Joe Burrow has this thing won. I do. I, at this point, it's his to lose. That's what you said. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. And at this point, if I had to do my Maxwell vote tonight, He's number one on my Maxwell vote, but I'm voting Jalen Hurts number two because of what he has accomplished, both with his legs and with his arm, the precedent of what the guys have done ahead of him that have accomplished that same feat. And for every guy like me in Big 12 area that's voting on this thing, there's another guy in the SEC that has nothing but mad respect for Jalen Hurts and have cheering for this guy to succeed. So they're going to vote him high. They're going to vote him. They're not going to vote Chase Young above Jalen Hurts. I promise you that. Go ahead. Disagree. <laughs> that, that, that is a okay. Where or I'm going to disagree with you is that Oklahoma does have a second knock against them, if you will. I'm not talking about losses. That's the first knock. But the second knock here, when I look at the Heisman race, is that. Oklahoma's hogged the ball when it comes to the trophy. They've had it for the past two years, and I, I think voters want to share that wealth. And they're going to, because of that, the SEC votes Joe Burrow, and the Big Ten, Chase Young, the Big 12, Jalen Hurts. But it's it's what are the people who aren't in lumped into those specific people groups, what do they do? And again... Joe Burrow, no argument there, but name recognition. No one's out there campaigning. They Typically, the schools will release something via social media. No one's out there campaigning as an individual. But again, I feel like the name recognition, a guy who's doing something that we haven't seen in quite some time, especially from his position, lifts him up to number two. Look, Chase Young, number two. For here's, me. here's what I'm gonna say. All right, you and I always disagree over something, and typically we bet a Gatorade, which you haven't paid me Shut up it. from September. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you this: you said last week that Florida would be ahead of Alabama, mm -hmm. and I disagreed. And you were right; I was wrong. I'm telling you now: no way Chase Young is ahead <laughs> of Jalen Hurts on the final. When it's all said and done, Jalen Hurts will be ahead of Chase Young. And we're not too far from finding that out. No, we're not. We're not at all. Um, okay, let, let's um, let's flip sides and let's talk defense. Anything else you want? Oh, offensive player of the game. Offensive player. Tell of me the, who you're watching. Who 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 is big in this game? Mm -hmm. Big factor. Outside of of the obvious name, Jalen Hurts. Try to go sidestep Jalen Hurts and look elsewhere. I, I think it's Kennedy Brooks. He's been the most dominant offensive player since that first Baylor game. I know that's only a two-game stretch, but the way that Oklahoma is utilizing him, the way that this offensive line is finally coming together, peaking at the right time, I think Kennedy Brooks, along with that offensive line, they 
they found something and it's allowed Kennedy, Kennedy Brooks to return to the potential that we knew he had, but was seemingly bottled up this year. And a lot of that I get is because of the talent working with the uh, personnel that you have on the field without a trace sermon available. Kennedy Brooks becomes that number one option, even though there are guys on the depth chart behind him competing for carries. Kennedy Brooks has carried the load and, and I fully expect him to do that against Baylor. And I expect him to do that successfully. Yeah. I'm just going to jump in there with you. I, you say Kennedy Brooks, I'm going to say the running game in general for Oklahoma. Baylor comes at you with a three man front. They like to bring pressure from a three man front, uh, but they're daring you to run out of that three man front. And this is a legitimate three headed monster for the university of Oklahoma and the rushing game. Don't forget Ramondre Stevenson gets limited touches, but he gets significant results off of those limited touches and even going back to Bedlam, before he got the garbage time carries, he had a huge catch on third down early in that game where he went on a little bit of a button hook. We call it a button hook whenever I was playing. But went on a little bit of curl route, caught a big pass on third down. I, I think I think the running game in general, again, I, I if Baylor can't stop Oklahoma from running the ball, legitimately this will be a 300 plus day for Oklahoma on the ground. And, um, and that's kind of what I'm expecting. And that means big things for Oklahoma's running game. Defensive side of the ball. Let me, let me lead with this before we jump into X's and O's on the defense. I've got three important things for Oklahoma defensively, but let me, let me throw this question at you. Do you set, if you're, if you're Alex Grinch, do you set Caleb Kelly for this game? I do. Did wow, you want was, a reason? Yeah, that was that was super easy, man. It is super easy. And a large portion of that to me is Caleb Kelly is a guy that I, I like in pursuit. Mm-hmm. He's a guy we know who has speed, a guy who has the ability to get into the backfield. And one of the biggest struggles, Matt, you and I talked about this the last time out. We talked about the inability of Oklahoma to set the edge. Mm -hmm. A lot of times what we've seen offensively from opposing coordinators is an attack of that edge and simply running the ball, throwing the ball out in that general direction. What we saw against Oklahoma State for the very first time since the loss of John Michael Terry was the ability to set the edge. And who else was it? Uguebu. Right. Needless to say, with the ability of a guy like that, who's a, a freshman, by the way, who understands what he's being asked to do, not only understands it, but goes out and executes that. I think it does huge favors for this Oklahoma defense, pushing everything back into the middle. And then you let a guy like Kenneth Murray clean up. That's why I don't know that a Caleb Kelly is an absolute necessity in this game. You like the talent of a Caleb Kelly. You like the ability to pursue. You like the ability to mix things up and blitz with him. But ultimately, is it a necessity to use him in this game? I say no because of the rise of some of these younger players, the abilities of some of these younger players, the talent, but more importantly, the fact that they're actually producing and executing Mm -hmm. on the field. Well, yeah, and you've already shown – through that second half in Waco that you can you can put the brakes on Baylor's offense with the personnel that you have right now. You don't have to add Caleb Kelly into that mix and that saves that saves Kelly for two more games. You know, you can play four in red shirt and that if you set him out he, he's got his feet wet against TCU and then in Bedlam 
rest him up. Then you have him for the college football playoff in the semifinal. And then if you were to advance to that championship game, you could still play him in that game, redshirting him and have him back next season. Right. I, I think I set him for those reasons because, I, like I said, you've already you've already proven your, your guys. It's not like your guys would take the field going, man, we don't have Caleb Kelly. You know, your guys are going to take the field going, we, we shut these guys down in the second half three weeks ago with with us, with the personnel that we have. And where you add a guy like CeeDee Lamb onto the offensive side of the ball, it, it makes a big, big difference in the way they are schematically going to try to attack Oklahoma's offense. But when you make when you add Caleb Kelly into the mix on Oklahoma's defense, it doesn't change a whole lot schematically. It doesn't change a whole lot what you do, and it certainly doesn't change a whole lot what they're going to try to do. So for that reason – I'm pulling him back. I'm like, dude, we got you. You know, we got you game ready. Now we're going to have a month to prep you for the college football playoff or a bowl game, whatever comes up. And then we have you for a full season next year. It's going to be interesting to see what Oklahoma does with this decision. Because clearly, I think clearly if they play him, then what they're looking at is petitioning for a medical red shirt. So they're, what, that, what that tells me, they're going to play him in this game, and then they're going to petition for a medical red shirt, and then they'll have him in the playoff, the first game, and if they make it to the championship game, they will have a response back at that point whether he's going to get the medical red shirt or not. Um, and then you make that decision, like, you know, at a championship game. And, and they may take that approach where we make that decision when we're forced to, and right now we're not forced to make that decision. So I'm curious. I'm curious to see what they do from that aspect. As far as X's and O's and schematics here against the Baylor offense, for me, the first thing the first thing I look at with Baylor is shut down the run. That is, to me, that's the most critical thing of what you're going to try to do to this Baylor offense. Take the run game away from them. Agree or disagree? Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to agree with okay. you on that one. And a large portion of that is we know what Charlie Brewer is capable of. Mm -hmm. We know that he's not just a guy who's going to stand in the pocket. If you're counting scrambling as the run game, then absolutely it needs to be the primary focus of this Oklahoma defense. But I think ultimately what Oklahoma needs to look at doing is limiting that, that the scramble ability mm-hmm. of Charlie Brewer, keeping him in the pocket, forcing him to, to throw the ball downfield. What we're seeing, I think, is um, confidence out of this Oklahoma secondary. We're seeing a group who knows that when the game is on the line, they've been the one who has had to make the play, and they've ultimately come up with that play, whether it's the interception, the denial of the two-point conversion, whatever that might be, Oklahoma, the defense, and more specifically the secondary, has come up with big play after big play. I say with this growing confidence, you you want to see, hopefully, forcing Charlie Brewer to throw it a little bit more, but you see Oklahoma taking advantage of the opportunities when a turnover becomes available. Baylor with two running backs right now averaging over six yards per carry. Uh, Levitt with 618 yards on the season. Hasty with 602 yards on the season. 
The two have combined for 12 rushing touchdowns. What you're talking about, Rich, Charlie Brewer, who was the leading rusher for Baylor when these two teams met in Waco. Charlie Brewer with 10 rushing touchdowns on the season. Really kind of had um, had his way with Oklahoma in the first 30 minutes of the game. But th- this is where I'm this is where I'm sticking to my guns as where Oklahoma's defensive game plan begins is in the second half. They took that away. They they took the running game, this particularly the Charlie Brewer running game. They they completely eliminated that from the from the equation, and and in doing so, they they put the brakes on the Baylor offense. I think these two teams pick up where they ended. Okay, so Oklahoma made adjustments in the second half, and they shut down Baylor. Oklahoma is going to come out do the exact same scheme, the exact same thing, and they're gonna they're gonna force Matt Rule and company to kind of tip their hand, and Matt Baylor is going to have to show their adjustments first. And so I think Oklahoma comes out. They want to limit what Baylor can do uh, on the ground. They want to they want to win first and second down. And here's the reason why: because this is a defense, excuse me, an offensive line that has given up 29 quarterback sacks this season. That's almost three sacks a game. And you, what you want if you're Oklahoma's defense, you want Baylor looking at a situation where they're behind the chains. You want them at third and seven, third and six, or third and 12. You want them behind the sticks where where they have to throw. And then you could unleash a guy like Ronnie Perkins after Charlie Brewer. We saw Caleb Kelly and Norman last year bend him in half backwards. Those are the kind of situations that you want Baylor to be in. Because here's the thing about Charlie Brewer. I, I was not surprised that he wasn't one of the top two Big 12 quarterbacks when the when the all, all Big 12 team came out. I you know we talked about Brock Purdy. Uh, at least I don't remember. I remember I talked about Brock Purdy. I don't know if that conversation was with you or when I was doing the po- podcast on my own. But Charlie Brewer is a pretty good quarterback. But he has been hit and hit hard recently. I want to be in his head. And I can't do that if I don't win first and second down by stopping the run. If Baylor's looking at third and three, I don't have as many options as I do if Baylor's looking at third and seven. No, I completely agree with you. And I don't get to third and seven without stopping the run. This is a conversation, Matt. I feel like while we are taking different approaches to this, we're saying the same thing in that – the attempt here is is to take away one aspect of the game from this Baylor offense. That's always the goal. We just have my emphasis being a little bit different than your emphasis. I'm not saying to to deny every single pass that's thrown down the field. I'm saying contain Charlie Brewer. You're saying to to stop the run game. Well, because I think it's going to be more than Charlie Brewer this time. I, I really think they're going to come at him at Oklahoma with Hasty. The kid averaged like he only carried the ball three times, but averaged almost 15 yards of carry in Waco just three weeks ago. So I think they're going to come at with Hasty. They're going to throw John Lovett out there. I, I think there, there's going. I think it's the running attack for Baylor is going to be more than just Charlie Brewer this go around. They where they used hate. Uh, you know, hasty and and love it as the kind of the decoys for Brewer to do that zone read. I'm telling you, Oklahoma is going to hit Brewer every time he runs that zone read, whether he has the ball or not. They're going to hit him every time, and they're going to force him to ultimately start handing that ball off to those guys, and then they've got to clamp down on those guys when that happens. I think that guard tackle play, Oklahoma runs that a lot. So does Baylor. I think Oklahoma is looking at all those things. 
And this, to me, this chess match between Oklahoma's coaches and Baylor coaches, where we're picking up where we left off in Waco, the next move is on Baylor. And I think one of the things that Matt Rule's going to do is he's going to incorporate his two backs a little bit more in the offensive attack than he did in Waco, Texas. That's what I'm saying. And I think Oklahoma's prepared for that, and they need to shut it down. Yeah. First, first and foremost. Statistically, Oklahoma able to hold Charlie Brewer to 194 yards through the air on the 16th of November. Significantly below, I believe significantly below. I thought I had that number here. Not showing up now, but below that, the seasonal average. We're seeing numbers upwards of 300 in numerous games this year. You've got a 277 out there as well. When Oklahoma defends the pass well, the defense plays well. It starts up front for me. Um, it does start with, like I said, containing Charlie Brewer. But the emphasis, I, I'm sticking with my guns here and saying the emphasis has got to be on Charlie Brewer. Okay, so what's your second thing then? What's your second key for this defense? Defensively, yeah, uh, Oklahoma's got to get some turnovers. Let's be honest here. Um, the number last time out again, the number two from Alex Grinch, I believe, is is very crucial in this game, in specifically the the championship game. Why, when Oklahoma is able to not only win the turnover margin, but actually force some turnovers and and gain those turnovers. They've done exceptionally well. It was the stretch of zero turnovers, zero forced turnovers, zero created turnovers, however you want to label that. When there was a big zero on that scoreboard in terms of turnovers in Oklahoma's favor, things have been extremely uncomfortable. Oklahoma has escaped. I don't know in a championship game with all the cards on the table that they get that lucky this time if they turn the ball over three times and get zero. No, I agree. And, you know, for the fourth week in a row, Oklahoma's defense, this is a crazy stat. And then by the time the people listen to this podcast, they've heard it most likely. But for the fourth week in a row, Baylor, Iowa State, TCU, Oklahoma State, the final play for the defense, they came off the field with a, with a turnover, which is a, a crazy, crazy stat. Um, Me? You don't agree? No, no, no. I, I'm just statistically – it doesn't go down as a turnover against Iowa State, yeah, but, but still, I see I mean, your point. Okay, um, here's the other thing for me with Oklahoma. I think I, I'm really impressed with Baylor's receiving core. They've they've got three guys that are burners and they're big body guys. Um, and I, I think what Brewer is going to try to do is get the ball to those guys in space. So I, I think if I'm Oklahoma, I want to take away those underneath routes. And the way I do that is number one, by being solid in coverage and number two, being sure handed and tackling. I mean, the first guy there has to make the tackle or at least hold the guy up long enough for the second guy to bring him down. But I want, I want Brewers throwing fit those 50, 50 balls. I want him looking deep I, I, because we take away everything else that because when he's forced to go to the deep route, the deep read that gives our man, Ronnie Perkins, all the more time to crash in and put the pressure on Brewer, which could lead to a quarterback sack, which could lead to a hurried throw, which could lead to an interception. All those things become possible when you take away the underneath stuff. There will be some design plays where Baylor runs the bubble screens or they run the shallow drag that you just have to account for. But on those third and seven, 
third and eight, third and long situations, I'm taking away the underneath stuff and I'm making them go mid-range to deep because it does two things for me. It gives me more time to get after him and it gives me a better opportunity to get a, a turnover. I've got to ask one question because we're looking at the receiver versus the defensive backs pairing matchup here against Oklahoma State, against TCU. We've seen some penalties creep up. Now, they haven't been costly, but more specifically, when I look at a guy like Trey Brown, is there any kind of concern there? Heading into the season, he was touted as the best cornerback on this team. Mm. Parnell Motley has really had himself a senior season, and I think he's very much deserving of that title. But Trey Brown has been a solid talent, a solid athlete for Oklahoma since arriving on campus. Are there any concerns, I'm not saying health-wise, but with Trey Brown in this game and maybe being paired up against one of these names you've you've mentioned? I think for me, there are concerns with anybody being matched. I mean, <laughs> Denzel Mims scares me. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, you know, you talk about Chris Platt being the fourth guy on this receiver. He's pretty dang good as well. So I think anybody getting matched up with these guys concerns me. I don't I, Trey Brown had a bad game. He in did. Bed. He just had a bad game. I, I think I think clearly what Manning and these coaches are doing with the with the Oklahoma's defensive backs, they're saying, guys, we want to be physical. We'll give up 15 yards before we give up a deep touchdown. And so you're seeing a lot of because it's not called. And Oklahoma, you know, they learned this from Gary Patterson. They learned this from TCU. <laughs> TCU is notorious for this. We're gonna grab you, we're gonna hold you, we're gonna pull you. A lot of times the the that back official doesn't look at it until the ball's in the air. So I know I can knock you off my route. I can impede you. I'm going to go at it. Sometimes it's going to get called. Sometimes it's not. Most of the time it's not going to get called. I think Trey Brown just got in a situation in Stillwater the other night where he just got called for it every time he did but, it. But the thing was Jaden Davis came on for him. Well, and here's the thing. Jaden Davis is a is a more he's a younger guy, but mm-hmm. he's more physical. And so when Trey when when Trey Brown comes up to check you, it's one thing. When Jaden Davis comes up and checks you, <laughs> it's quite different. And usually all it takes I'm, I'm, I'm well, okay with that, but it's saying to me that something was fundamentally wrong no, in that I think game. it's just well, you we could make arguments all day long about the fundamentals of Oklahoma's secondary. They are better than what they were. And here here's something I need to bring up because I I just ran out of time Sunday night when we're recapping Bedlam, and it goes right in this conversation about fundamentals. Let's think, but <coughs> excuse me, let's think back to Oklahoma's final game in Morgantown last season. Buki. Brendan Radley Hiles gets yanked from that game because he is so poor fundamentally that he literally can't even run with the receiver he's supposed to cover. So that guy gets yanked fast forward 12 months later, final game of the season, a bigger game than going up to Morgantown. Cause this is Bedlam in-state rivalry, right? And the kid leads the team in tackles. Kudos to him because everyone threw him under the bus last year, but he has improved in such a way fundamentally where he's leading this team in a big game like that in tackles. All that said, comes back around full circle. A lot of the times, fundamentally, the effectiveness of your fundamentals is based off of your core strength. If if Trey Brown and Jaden Davis get into an arm wrestling match, they get into a chin-up 
contest. They get into a push-up contest. They do any type of physical evaluation. My money's on Jaden Davis. I think core, he has a stronger core. And so when he – and I, this is the position I played and the position I coached. As a receiver, there when a, when a, when a corner breaks down on you – there are a few things that you can do with your hands and your hands only. You can't lean a shoulder into the guy because you can't break your timing. Also, you can't break your route by leaning the shoulder. So most of what you're doing as a receiver is done with your hands. When that guy breaks down and his initial lunge into you is with the palms of his hands into your chest or under your shoulder pad, it's usually a lunge followed by a significant tug, just knocks you off of your route and, and messes up your timing. You can fundamentally know how to do that, but when you have a, a strength in your core that Jaden Davis has, the effect of it, when you see a guy like Trey Brown do it and a guy like Jaden Davis do it, two different results, and it's based off of the level of physicality. And you know, I've, I've been saying ever since Jaden Davis first got into the game, the first time he stepped on the field, it was noticeably different how fundamentally sound he was, but also how strong he was. This kid doesn't shy away from contact. He loves contact. And when he checks the receiver or when he tugs the receiver, it's going to be a lot different than somebody else. And I think that's the main, main difference. That's that's my breakdown of that situation. <laughs> All right, so let's Good. move on. Give me your give me uh, one or two guys, defensive players that you're going to watch. Defensively, obviously, I, I think you've got to put an emphasis on a Parnell Motley in this game. He's coming off potentially the biggest game of his entire career. Now he's heading into the Big 12 championship and looking to build upon that resume. I believe Parnell Motley is a guy who's playing himself into the NFL draft at this moment. So he wants to continue that momentum as an individual, but we as fans also want him to continue that momentum because if you have a guy who can ultimately be put on an island and take care of his responsibility, you don't have to worry as much about that entire side of the field. Parnell Motley is that first guy that I'm looking at. The second guy that I'm looking at is a name that you've mentioned a couple of times in Ronnie Perkins. Mm -hmm. I, I think he can have a huge impact on this game because of his athleticism, because of his physical ability. Can he get into the backfield as much as he did that in that first go around, specifically in the second half? We'll have to wait and see, but I believe the confidence is there and the ability is there. All right, I'm I'm surprisingly going to stay away from the secondary, although I do agree with you on Parnell Motley. I think uh, he's the guy that you're going to want to watch number 11 on Saturday morning. I'm going to go – for me, it starts with Ronnie Perkins. That's the guy uh, because before he can jump into that pass rush, he's also going to have to do some run containment as well before they let him pin his ears back and go after Charlie Brewer. So he, he's a guy that I think, particularly on those obvious passing downs, He's the guy that seemed unstoppable in Waco. And I think, you know, I think if nothing else, he draws some attention for someone else to crash in. But Ronnie Perkins is the guy I start with. And then for me, my second guy, because remember my game plan, uh, my game plan is on um, – on stopping the run. So I'm going with Kenneth Murray. Mm -hmm. uh, he led the team in tackles um, in Waco. I think he leads the team in tackles again this week. When, when think about the quarterback run game uh, that Oklahoma's played this year, Derek King, uh, Sam Ellinger, who was the guy who cleaned all that up? It was Kenneth Murray. And he is going to have the assignment to be able to read what 
um, Charlie Brewer's doing. And that's something that Oklahoma's defense is going to be prepared for. And I, I think Kenneth Murray's the guy who um, who gets the benefit of that. One thing that we haven't talked about, and I don't know, um, I don't know how big of a factor it's going to be, but uh, Jerry uh, Bohannon, the backup quarterback, Baylor's used him a lot recently, uh, and the kid can run. He can just flat out run. I I don't I don't I don't know how much they use him. But I think he gets used, um, and and I, I maybe in just some special type situations. But something that I, that to keep an eye on that Oklahoma, I, I know they're probably at least going to spend some time trying to figure this kid out in certain situations. He's fourth on the team in rushing right now, averaging seven point six yards per carry. Has three rushing touchdowns on the season. So just something this Bohannon kid to, to keep an eye out for. Okay, what else you got defensively? Uh, one thing I think people need to be aware of, not necessarily concerned about, is still the the status of Jalen Redmond. No decision has been made at this point in time. However, what it likely means if Redmond doesn't play is we we see that freshman mm-hmm. Uguebu step in. Can he have a similar? I know it's a, a different team. It's not Chuba Hubbard in the backfield this time, but can he have the same level of success on this stage, even though it'll be his first time playing in it? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a solid point. Okay. So something, something to throw in here um, as we begin to wind down the podcast for the last uh, 10 to 12 minutes, what are you most confident in? This game kicks off 11 a.m. Saturday morning when the two teams take the field for the opening kickoff. What are you most confident in? Man, that's a good question. I know. That's and, why I came up with it. In, in all honesty, um, what I'm most confident in heading into this game is undoubtedly Oklahoma's ability to run the football. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's Oklahoma's ability to run the football. And it's because of one, the recruiting that they've done, but it's because of the depth that Oklahoma always seems to have at that position. No questions. Like I said, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You have to be confident in that specific aspect of this Oklahoma team. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I'm very similar with you on that, but mine is this, that Oklahoma can score more points than Baylor. That's what I'm most confident in. When, when you look at there, there's four major units on the field. You wanted me to come up with a statement, huh? No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just saying you've, you've got Oklahoma's offense, Oklahoma's defense, Baylor's offense, Baylor's defense of those four. I think Baylor's offense is number four. If you're ranking them, you know, strength on strength, Oklahoma's offense, number one, Baylor's defense, number two, Oklahoma's defense, number three, Baylor's offense, number four. And yeah, I think you could swap around the two defenses and put Oklahoma mm-hmm. number two, and make a good argument. It's crazy. Overall, Baylor's the top defense in the big 12, but in big 12 conference play, Oklahoma's the top defense. What that tells you is, in my opinion, Baylor played a weaker non-conference schedule, which to validate that, you just go look at the schedule. Okay. All that said, I, I have confidence Oklahoma, without turning the ball over, Oklahoma's offense is going to outscore Baylor's. I, that's To me, that's what I have the, I'm most confident in. Oklahoma is going to outscore Baylor. All right, least confident. Least confident is extremely easy for me because it's something in the latter half of the season that became the dominant conversation. Anytime you brought up 
the Oklahoma Sooners, anytime you brought up Jalen Hurts, you talked about the number of times the ball was being put on the turf. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not extremely confident that Oklahoma will win the turnover margin battle in this specific game. Okay, see, I'm right there with you. I'm least confident mm-hmm. that Oklahoma is not going to turn the ball over. Like I said, without turning the ball over, completely confident Oklahoma is going to outscore Baylor. I'm not confident they're not going to turn the ball over. We talked about this Sunday night in our Bedlam recap. One game doesn't mean you've resolved the turnover issue. So to me, least confident is Oklahoma not turning the ball over. I threw this question out on Facebook. Uh, Brad Clayton says he's most confident in Burkich, Oklahoma's kicker. Uh, he's That's least, a good one. Yeah, I really like less that. Less confident in our safeties. So Brad Clayton, thanks for participating on that. You can hit us up on Facebook. We're Heartland Sports. Uh, we have our own Facebook page, and we throw stuff out there uh, for you to jump a hold of, and, uh, and all of our posting goes up there as well. Okay, so we're going to – we're going to close this out with with uh, two things. The final thing we're going to do is our, our Big 12 championship game score prediction. But we're going to have some fun here. Uh, all five power conferences have their championship games this weekend, starting with the Pac-12 on Friday night. Let's rank these in order of the probability of upset. So that means the underdog in the Big 12 situation would be Baylor upsets the favorite. So let's start. Five is the least probable for upset, and number one is the most probable for upset. And we're going to start. We'll we'll alternate, okay? We'll start with five. You give your five. I'll give mine, and we'll work our way down. Cool? Cool. All right. So your least probable for upset is what? Least probable, in in my opinion, is Virginia upsetting Clemson. Clemson's favored by nearly 30 points for a reason, and it speaks to the discrepancy that is prevalent in the ACC between Clemson and the rest of the conference. This is Clemson's conference. If they lose it, it would be a total shocker. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm disagreeing with you. M- number five for me, my, my least probable upset this weekend is in the Big Ten. I think Ohio State will steamroll Wisconsin. That's all I got. <laughs> Forrest Gump's all I got to say about that. <laughs> all right, number four. Number four. Oh, do you, do you, did you want to disagree with that? Or no, did, I oh, didn't. Oh, okay. I was going to let you say two, and then we'd alternate. Oh, okay. Well, I can. By the way, Ohio State 30 to seven earlier this season over Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. All right. So my number four is LSU over Georgia. I don't think Georgia has the uh, the guns to uh, to match. Look, like I'm saying with Baylor, you've got I, a lot of confidence. No, in Virginia. I do because I, I think Georgia's good defensively. But LSU's really good offensively. No, I'm saying you got a lot of confidence in Virginia. Oh yeah, to we're not getting, have oh, them okay, in the bottom yeah, two. Uh, I got you. I got you. So uh, LSU over Georgia. I don't think that pun intended. I don't think they have the dogs offensively to <laughs> hang out with, uh, with LSU. Who's yeah, your number I I have Ohio State and Wisconsin here for the reason that you've stated. This is also a rematch. Wisconsin's bread and butter has been running the football. Unfortunately for them, they're running into a team that has the ability Mm -hmm. to completely shut down that aspect of the game and force you to throw. Cohen, quality quarterback, he's just not going to be at the top of anybody's charts or lists when it comes to, hey, I want that guy leading my my final drive here. No knock against him. It's it's just the approach to the game that Wisconsin has taken, not this year, but in years past. I've got moving up the list then at number three is where I've got Georgia 
and LSU. I agree with you. I don't think Georgia has the ability to keep pace with the LSU offense. They're going to lean heavily on the defense to create turnovers. They're going to lean heavily on the defense to get stops in order to put the ball back into Jake Fromm's hands. I just don't know that they can do it often enough to win that game. Okay, I've got Clemson at number three, the ACC. Um, Virginia's good. They're 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 a decent team. They're not win. Well, listen, I'm they're when they're, they're top, not on the field. They're top twenty five right now. Yeah, which is just weird. They're, well, they're eight and three on the season. No, they're about they're, to be four. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. And saying, it's gonna be a blowout. I don't. I don't think. What would you say the point spread was in that game? I think it was twenty eight and a half. I'm, the last I'm time gonna I look looked. it up real fast. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now that Clemson does not cover the spread against Virginia. I don't even know what the spread is. Okay, 20, wait, wait, wait. Twenty eight and a half. Clemson will not cover that. Spread. You recognize that Clemson? If we want to use margin of victory, Clemson should be the number one team in the country because they play in the ACC. So. I'm just saying if we want to use margin of victory, Clemson owns it. I'm not saying Clemson is going give, to lose. Give me your number two. I'm not Let's saying Clemson on. is going to lose. I'm saying Clemson doesn't cover a 28.5-point spread. Uh, Oklahoma is number two for me. So you took it as a Friday lock, I'm assuming. I will find out a on Friday. A little preview, a we'll sneak peek. We'll find out on Friday. Oklahoma Ooh. number two for me against Baylor in the Big 12 Championship. Yeah, I agree as well. This is a 7-6 pairing. We know ultimately one so that loss, means we have the same number one as well. Just. One last teams. Yeah, it does. One last teams here. Oklahoma, Baylor vying for a spot potentially in the college football playoff, which leaves us with the Pac-12. Before you jump in, there, let me just say this. It's, it's, you know, they say the hardest thing to do in sports is to beat a team twice. Mm-hmm. And there's two games this weekend that are rematches. Ohio do State, they? Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Baylor. They say that about baseball. I, I mean, think it's football. Sometimes you get swept. Well, and it was the, the point is the point yeah, is yeah, yeah. I'm making is that it's crazy. Ohio State, Wisconsin, to me, is the least probable upset. Where Oklahoma Baylor is the second most probable upset. I guess that just I'm, upset I'm meaning, to, meaning that self, Oklahoma's favored. Yeah, I, I'm having a self realization moment. How much I favor Ohio State mm-hmm. over Oklahoma right now. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, number so, one, number one. Obviously, we're looking at the Pac-12, Utah. Oregon, I get that Utah has a top three defense in the country statistically. Because they're in the Pac-12. They're up there offensively as well in their ability to produce. But they're going to run into an Oregon team who is, in my opinion, not far behind them defensively, but also has played ranked opponents and beaten them. Uh-huh. That's not something that Utah can claim. Um, the one, the one team that Utah played who was ranked was USC. Uh, I'm going to let you guess how many rushing yards did USC get against uh, Utah? Matt, it was 13, and they uh, still I, won the game. Yeah, I, I, I okay, it was 13, I, I tell you. and they um, still won the game. I, I just think Justin Herbert as a quarterback is going to dissect their defense. He's going to throw the ball often. And he's going to throw it successfully, which leads to a victory for Did me. Did you see the panic in my eye when he asked me that question? No. Because I, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I don't know how much of that I want as a fan Utah to lose. That That's really why they're number one. I do think it's the most realistic possibility right. uh, this weekend is for of the Power Five for the upset to happen. I think that's the most realistic possibility. But as an Oklahoma fan and you know Utah jumping in that number four seed, I want Oklahoma there. Which, final question, just one word answer. 
Oklahoma yes. wins. Utah wins. Who's in? Oklahoma. I agree 100%. Um, Baylor and, wins. They're in. I agree. Again, I, here's – well, w- we can we can talk about this, I guess. That, well, by the time we come back Sunday night, it'll all have been resolved. I, there's no way. If Oklahoma wins and Utah wins, in my opinion, no way Oklahoma's left out. Just zero chance. It's so obvious when you compare strength of schedule, eye tests, all of that. Well, why does Utah look better? Because they're playing Colorado where Oklahoma's on the road in Stillwater. Um, OU's in should they win, which brings us to score prediction time. Rich, what you got going down in Arlington, Texas on Saturday? I am banking on Oklahoma not turning the ball over. If you go back and you watch the first game and you look at how crucial those turnovers were, but more importantly, you look at where they happen on the field, the game is borderline non-competitive. If Oklahoma does not cough the ball up, I, I think they win this one comfortably. And when I say comfortably, I'm saying 42 to 21. I've got Oklahoma in the same stratosphere with scoring. I've got Oklahoma with 41 points. But like I said, I'm not 100% confident they're not going to turn the ball over. Baylor's defense is good, and they're the the best turnover margin in the Big 12. So that means no one are they good at stopping their opponents. They're good at forcing turnovers. I'm not confident that Oklahoma is going to get make it through this game turnover-free. I do agree if they do, this this game is a comfortable win for Oklahoma. Right. And the thing for me, Matt, is they don't have to make it turnover-free. It just has to be a margin of zero. Well, true. <laughs> That's turnover-free. <laughs> I've got Oklahoma 41-34. I've got them by a touchdown over the Bears. But I want to say this. I think it's a comfortable touchdown where Baylor scores like within the last minute and a half, has to try an onside kick, something along those lines. Um, real fast, parting shot. Who has the pressure Saturday morning, Oklahoma or Baylor? Oklahoma does. Strongly disagree, but go ahead. Man, I, I think Oklahoma has the pressure because they're expected to win. Everyone, the conversations that we hear when it pertains to the college football playoff, when it pertains to the top teams in the country, no one's mentioning Baylor. In fact, when Baylor was undefeated, they were still ranked below a one-loss Oklahoma team. I think because of the national perception, the pressure is on Oklahoma. See, disagree for the exact same reason you just said. Oklahoma has been here. This is they're going for their fifth in a row. This is their house. Third in a row at Jerry World. They beat Baylor in Waco, a limited team. First first game without Trey Sermon, playing without City Lamb. They beat Baylor, 25-point comeback. In Waco, Baylor's never been there. National media doesn't respect Baylor. They're just now getting moved up into the top 10 where they are. Um, I like Baylor to have all the pressure in the world at kickoff at 11 a.m. on Saturday morning. You're saying BYU. Are you going back to 2009 BYU? I am because you're talking about Jerry World and Oklahoma owning the place. I'm talking about recently. That makes me uncomfortable. I'm talking about recently. They've won two Big 12 championships since then. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Sooner Nation Podcast. Thanks so much. If you're uh, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, hit us up with a good rating. We we so, so appreciate that. You can also find pregame, postgame coverage at Heartland Sports heartland-sports.com. We'll be back Sunday to talk about Oklahoma's fate in the postseason, as well as recapping the Big 12 championship. Have a fantastic weekend, everyone. Boomer Sooner.